Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. He's a whack job, there's no question about it, but I really don't know him. He, uh, I think he's doing a tremendous disservice to a wonderful wife. Kellyanne is a wonderful woman. Oh, all right, so uh, whether you're a husband from hell, a whack job, whether you're uh, just confused w- about your gender, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. We, uh, w- we take all comers. You could just be a deplorable, which, by the way, came up again because that was President Trump as he was making his way to Ohio, where he made news again by yet again saying, you know what, that John McCain guy? Yeah, never really was a big fan. So now you got everybody up in arms and, oh, my gosh, he's doing it again. And then Republican senator in Georgia, Johnny Isaacson, came out and said, that's deplorable. <laughs> ah, so it, it is. Uh, it, it, it is another day that is not boring and is full of information that is beyond instructive, not just about our president, not just uh, about the news media, not just about Republicans that yeah, struggle with actually being principled. It is a day that is one of the grand teachable moments of the past many months. Hey there, uh, you're going, hold on, familiar, but I can't quite play. I'm, I'm your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd. I uh, am in for the great one this evening. This is one of my favorite things to do in, in life is to share time with you. Uh, I do a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Then an hour later, I turn around and I uh, host the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And it is truly an honor and a pleasure uh, to be here and to share time with you. And you uh, may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. One of the uh, stories I have there for you is something that we're going to tee up. Coming up in the third hour of the show, I always like giving you facts. You'll hear me say certain things like there are two sides to stories and one side of facts. So I establish some of those facts, and then I give you the real deal. And then I, I give you something that you can take, use, and share that are the shutdown, drop-the-mic kind of arguments. Because, again, you can't argue with reality. You're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to different elements of, of facts. But I have actually been inspired. I, I was inspired recently by one of the the greats of our time by robert francis o'rourke you know i i've spent my entire career entire career working really hard to to analyze to research to educate myself to put together all these facts and these principles and uh, and then have really strong views that i communicate based upon Facts and principles and what's in the best interest of the the country and and the best interest of you. And and then I realized, you know what, this guy. I mean, how cool is this? He just kind of, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to feed off your energy. And you mold me into the the person you want me to be. So I actually thought I might take a different approach this evening. 
How about for the next three hours? I just sit back, feed off of your energy. You can just mold me into the, the host you want me to be. How cool is that? I don't really have to do any work. Don't have to stand for anything. I was going to feed off of the energy that is you. And then at the end of it, you just make me the most powerful person in the world. How cool is that? How cool is that? Anyway, uh, even that entertaining example, our good friend Beto O'Rourke, is actually, in, in some respects, not only instructive of the Democrats and where they currently stand, but also, arguably, less dangerous than some of the more principled candidates in the race. I mean, on one hand, consider this. Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialism. Or somebody goes, yeah, you know what? The wind's blowing this way. Let's see what happens. I mean, you can make the argument that the vapid candidate, the one that actually stands for nothing, is potentially less dangerous than the principled ones that stand for something as we head towards 2020. I'm just saying. There's a case that could be made. Oh, my gosh. You cannot make this stuff up. Can I, in, about the whole uh, you know, Kellyanne, George thing. What do you think right now the, the chillier bedroom is? You, you think it's Bill and Hillary, or do you think it's Kellyanne and George? Right, just a little food for thought. I mean, don't think too hard about any of that, but, you know, just one thing that's been kind of odd. You actually notice from time to time that Bill and Hillary are in the same place at the same time. It almost seems like it's by choice now. That in and of itself is odd. So there's a case that could be made that Kellyanne and, and George are actually doing worse. All right, uh, we're going to dive into a lot of the big news of the day and a lot of the issues of the day. But I kind of want to hit a reset button because there have been a number of things that just drive me nuts uh, about a lot of the conversations that have been driven. And it starts with the premise. You'll hear me talk about the premise as well because if the premise of anything is false, anything built upon it is too. And so much of what is frustrating about the news cycle the dissemination of information about a lot of the politicking, whether it's the Green New Deal or voting age being dropped to 16 or any number of other different related uh, pieces of nonsense that exist out there. It's a realization that the government is there to do for us. You go, hold on, a realization that the government is there to do for us. Yeah, because what's happened through our education establishment for an awfully long time is what? Well, we don't teach civics. We don't teach the Constitution. We don't teach foundational-based principles. So what do we get? Well, we get a bunch of candidates on the left. We get a bunch of politicians on the left. They do what? Well, they tell you what the government is going to do for you, or the government is going to make you do. And we've never seen that on display more than we already are for the 2020 candidates on the left. And the one of the most important places to start with our current conversation about politics is how we actually got here. The aforementioned friend, Mr. Robert Francis O'Rourke, when he was trying to find something that would stick against the wall, I think it was earlier this week, all kind of runs together. He was actually making the case that capitalism is indeed racist. Oh, okay, well, that makes perfect sense. Capitalism is racist. And we hear about how capitalism is evil. We'll see the polls that show that 
You know, uh, among adults under the age of 30, a majority of them do think socialism is better than capitalism. Oh, that, that makes perfect sense. Without realizing a few things. One, the only reason that they have the luxury to be as ignorant as they actually are in this country is because of capitalism. And actually how the United States became the greatest country in the world inside of about 150 years. That is one of the most undertaught aspects of our entire civics situation in this country. How is it they had a ragtag bunch of people who said, you know what? We're mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore. And uh, we're, we're going to take on the world superpower. We're going to fight for our freedom. Actually do it. And then go from a group of colonies that didn't necessarily see eye to eye in a lot of things. Eventually becoming a country that fought a war against itself. And still became the world's superpower. Surpassing all these other countries that have been around for hundreds, some cases around thousands of years. How did that happen? You know, we don't teach how that happened. And of course, it was capitalism, right? And it happened because the very principle of our government is the exact opposite of what it is taught to be today. The government was there to stay the hell out of our way. It's one most undertaught point of all. The only role of your federal government, it was the only one that was a non-negotiable. It's the protection of you and me. That's it. Otherwise, stay the heck out of our way. Provide for some infrastructure. Keep us safe. And we'll kick butt and take names. We're Americans. That's what we do. We'll invent stuff, too. We'll change the world. It'll be great. And that's how things happen. So, lost in the entire education process. How? The greatness actually came to be how the wealth that we are now told is evil came to be. How the ignorance of people that come out of not just the classroom, but in some cases, world class educations thinking that, yeah, capitalism really is pretty bad. Those people, the the entire reason they're at the point where they are enjoying more than, say, about $8,000 a year, which is the average income around the world, about $8,000 per year. The only reason they have that is because of the very thing that they say they're, they loathe. And why is that? Why, ironically enough, didn't we just find out recently, once again from science, something that the insurance industry actually had a, a long time ago, right? That our brains, they aren't quite all there <laughs> until we're, what, about 25? Actually, brain keeps developing until we're into our 30s, right? In fact, not even capable of being rational until we get into our mid-20s. That's kind of ironic. And yet, we're able to figure out that despite the United States being the wealthiest country in the world, despite being the world's superpower in such a short period of time, going from nothing Despite having protection and safety, not having to worry uh, about whether you're going to end up having a, your village raided and your entire family killed in the, the middle of the night. That type of luxury, we have people that loathe it because they don't understand it. And so part of what we've got to do as we are working on this 2020 cycle, realize a couple of things. One, yeah. Every election cycle provides 
teachable moments. The crop of candidates that come about within a particular political party, they provide teachable moments. But what you can't do is operate and argue on a false premise. And the problem is we end up in these conversations where you'll have people that are ignorant as can be, that do not realize that the reason they have the education they have, the safety they have, the opportunity, the prosperity, the technology, everything that's great in their lives that they then say is is evil, the only reason they have it is because of the very thing that they are trying to shout down. You can't argue, capitalism's good. No, socialism is. you got to get to the premise and tell them how they had the, the phone that they love. Tell them how they were able to obtain the education that they were able to obtain. Tell them how it is that their parents were able to have the, the jobs that they have. Tell them why America became great. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit Imprimus.Hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot Hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Incredibly low debt. We have some of the best hotels, the best golf courses. And, you know, every single day we get harassed as a company because it's their way to get to my father. Well, that is Eric Trump. These days running the Trump Organization. A lot of people get confused uh, about that, by the way. They, the Trump Organization, it, it isn't like Trump Incorporated or something. So people are like, what does that mean? So you have all these various different companies. For example, if Trump Stakes was still a thing. That would be a vertical off of the Trump organization. All of the umbrella companies are under that Trump organization. And that is the thing that uh, those on the left would have you believe uh, is what Donald Trump moroned his way into creating. A enterprise that produces $10 billion in revenue per year. That operates in dozens of countries around the world. He just kind of moroned his way into it. So that's how that, but Eric Trump describing that every day, every day, you know, they come under attack. The, the latest was the Deutsche Bank thing. And, you know, there, there are some illicit loans right before Donald Trump became president and all this. Nonsense. And he was saying, look, you heard him, low debt. We've got great, you know, some of the best properties in the world and, and things are good. It's just that we are the target and we understand that. 
But if you think about it, it's not just the Trump organization, is it? Talking about what makes this country great. Talking about how we, through capitalism, through liberty, through the foundation of the government, not being there to do for us, but to get the hell out of our way. That's how this country came to be as successful as it's become. And it's the very thing that's railed against, just as businesses generally today, right? You know, the, the stock market, oh, the evil stock market, right? You know, it, it's ironic. It's sad, but it's ironic because you'll see that younger generation actually pretty conservative with their money. And I actually do think that as they become more informationally engaged, you are going to see, just like generations previous, the younger generation becoming more conservative. Life has a way of, of teaching people things when they actually begin to experience life, pay taxes, have a family, go, holy cow, that's how that works. So things do matter at some point. But we see that even though they're conservative with their money, don't want to take on debt, all these things, what they don't want to do is invest. Why? Because, well, they've been taught the evils of business. You know, we demonize business. Greatest wealth creation machine in the history of the world, your United States stock market. Average rate of return, S&P 500, 10.1%. Take or leave Warren Buffett's politics, but he's told you, he can't even beat the S&P 500. And my only point in mentioning is this. We set up a, a system that allows everybody to become successful. Now, I was trying to figure out how to illustrate the greatness of American free enterprise about 20 years ago. And I came up with what I called my millionaire plan. Because people aspirationally, they want to have a million dollars. Like, okay, well, you can do it. Well, what do you mean? You know, I'm just an average person doing all. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can do it inside of 25 years. Because all it is is $1,000 a month saved and invested. Retirement accounts, anything you can do on the side. You name it. 1000 bucks saved and invested. And, uh, yeah, come back in 25 years, you have more than a million dollars on average. What? Yeah. Yep, you. Making just a $1,000 that you save and invest every month. That's it with the average rate of return in the United States stock market. The millionaire plan. That's the greatness of this country. It's lifted more people out of poverty than any other country. It's provided more opportunity than any other country. Provided more innovation than any other country. You take a look at our population. You know, China's got us beat by, what, three times our population or ten times our population? And they've got the entire government trained to do that. And we still out-innovate them. That's why they have to try to steal our secrets and our technology. And it's because of our opportunity. And that's the last thing in the world we need to demonize and take away from. That's why it is critical, critical, that we spend whatever time we can before we start arguing politics about pedomania or about Bernie or about Kamala or, oh, Joe, stand up, Joe. Before we get into any of that, we need to have the conversation about how we got here in the first place. We'll continue this conversation on the other side. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound 
to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. The only show with a warning label, The Liberals, The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. And I look forward to uh, my visit next week to Washington, where I will meet with President Trump, uh, and I, uh, I believe that we can carry this relationship even stronger. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, and may we continue to do so. <laughs> you know that's driving them crazy. Benjamin Netanyahu. What? Relationships getting stronger, stronger, and stronger? And hold on. Didn't, uh, didn't the folks on the left over there uh, try to take you? Didn't they indict you? Or aren't they, they, they got rid of you, right? Oh, man. <laughs> there are so many similarities between Benjamin Netanyahu and, and President Trump and, and what the political opposition is trying to do to both of them. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, who is observing the Jewish holiday of Purim today. Happy Wednesday to you. And <laughs> there's so much material here. But let's take this particular point. I've been talking about getting to the premise as we're talking about the 2020 cycle politics, how capitalism has been characterized by the majority now of the 2020 Democratic candidates as some form of bad, if not outright evil, to remind these people, including the Robert Francis Francis O'Rourke's of the world, that, well, the reason that they're able to go out there and say, yeah, it's all bad, is because they have so much that was provided to them by the American free enterprise system, by capitalism. And that, yes, the very system that they are demonizing has uplifted more people of more diverse backgrounds than anything else in human history. In fact, when you take a look at who has performed best just in the Trump economy, you know, we, we always hear, oh, you know, he's a racist and he's this and that. Well, again, two sides of stories, one set of facts. Let's take a look at some of the facts. Since Donald Trump became president of the United States, all the way to Janu- January of, of 2019, taking a look at the comparisons here, two-year window, what groups have actually performed the best on a relative basis in this economy? You ready? All of these groups, all of these groups have record, record low unemployment rates. All of these groups have record, record high incomes. All of these groups have record, record high quality of life. Asians, blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, and women. And you might notice... That the only group, ironically enough, not represented with the all-time best ever, white men. 
a little bit off the all-time highs when you adjust for inflation. I'm not kidding. So, yes, Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, and women all have not only record low unemployment rates within the past year under the Trump economy, record high incomes, and record high quality of life. But let's just take a look at, on a relative basis, who's improved the most. If we take a look under the Trump economy at the groups that on a relative basis have performed the best, number one for quality of life improvement from January of 2017 to January of 2019, you ready? Number one improvement, Hispanics. Number two, Blacks, number three, Caucasians, and number four, Asians. And Asians actually have the lowest unemployment rate and the highest income already. So on a relative basis, it's actually hard for them to improve. For example, if you take a look, you have the Asian unemployment rate right now that's 3.1%. So the minorities, minority, Hispanic and black adults have performed the best on a relative basis in the first two years of the Trump economy. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. Now, it's interesting because, as you'll also hear me say, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. So it's something that's not broadly discussed, which, again, is where you come into play and why I try to provide you with information that is easy for you to access, easy for you to take and share, and have these shutdown arguments. You know, do, do you want, for example, if you have somebody who thinks that capitalism is evil, if you have somebody who, who thinks that the direction that we're heading in is not good, well, do you want Hispanics to suffer? Do you want to see blacks have a lower quality of life? Well, no, no, that would be better. I mean, theoretically, right? That's the argument. Well, okay, so why would you want to change what we're doing? If they are performing on a relative basis better than they ever have in the history of this country, why the heck would you want to take away from that? What do you think the argument and the response is at that point? It's kind of hard to argue it. Well, that's not true. Yeah, it is. Got the facts. So, by the way, you can always get my stories and, and my information. Uh, if you search Brian Mudd and, and uh, some of the stories I talk about, some of the uh, concepts, you will find my information. All of it lives at WJNO.com. Uh, but uh, you can also just go to my Twitter feed and I have some of my stories at Brian Mudd Radio there to, uh, to take, read, and share. But, again, I, it's inarguable. So, you know. But I'm cautiously optimistic that, uh, in the end, common sense will prevail. American free enterprise will continue to prosper. And I'll give you a little bit more on that uh, as to why there's more than enough room for optimism about the 2020 cycle in just a few. Let's go to Nathan in Hilton Head. Nathan, welcome to the show. Go. Hey, Nathan. Do we have you? I had a real simple, um, I don't know how to deliver it. But there's a very simple math problem that could be done for voters coming up in 2020. And I'll leave it to the the tech geeks to figure it out. Right. Look at eight years of Obama and what was promised and not delivered. And you look at two years and coming up after the election of what what Trump actually delivered. And the, the contrast is so stark. Um, 
that that was the point that I called about. There's one other thing I'd like to mention, if you give me a moment. All right. Um, well, I'm an old friend of yours. In 2002, I moved from Southern California, otherwise known as Babylon, <laughs> and I called WTKS, the morning show, very excitedly, yep. and I said, I want to get on the air. I want to get on the air. I want to get... And you, yourself, Mr. Brian Mudd, said, well, you're on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> and I had the pleasure of... of becoming your friend. My name is Nathan Bass and I'm the guy that, that gave you the name boy genius. And, um, I'm so proud that you're on Mark's show. I listened to you like five, 10 times before I knew it was you. Um, you, your delivery has gotten better and better and you are, you are one of the great ones coming up, man. Uh, it's, it's such a pleasure to, to have you on the show here. God bless you, Nathan. I remember you well, and I remember that nickname well. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I miss a, you, man. We uh, miss I, you here in Savannah. Um, yeah, I won circus tickets. That was the, when I got to meet you. I, I, I won like nine circus tickets that I gave away. And um, I was actually, uh, I had about 35 Bush 04 signs that I picked up from the RNC, which was like right around the corner from your guys' station. And I planted them everywhere. There yeah. was a, uh, a John Kerry sign. <laughs> I remember a lot of those stories. Uh, pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, those are good times. Those were really good times. My my uh, first talk station uh, in Savannah, where uh, the guy I did mornings with for years, uh, still rocking strong, uh, Bill Edwards there. But, yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, I, I came up like a, a lot of young people in talk. I wanted to do talk radio. And you have to kind of pay a penalty. They aren't going to take a you know a teenager and just put you in talk radio. So I came up on the music side, and I did four years on the music side. And I actually remember having the conversation because you know, my superiors knew, hey, uh, this guy wants to do talk. And I remember at that point, it was nothing you know specific to Britney Spears, but I remember one of her songs, and it was playing over and over and over again. And I'm like, You're, we're going to run into a problem here real soon because somewhere along the way, I'm going to tell people what I really think of this song. It's like going to be good for any of us, so get us a talk station. And uh, we did. We launched uh, WTKS there in Savannah. Uh, that was my baby from uh, from day one, and uh, my absolutely love uh, the the folks there. Good, good, good times. But uh, let's go to Brett. Brett in Dallas. Brett, go. You doing? Um, thanks for taking my call. You bet. The question I have is, you know, we have all these record low on unemployment numbers and everything for all the different demographics, and nobody is reporting on. The revenues, the tax revenues, that should be just pouring into uh, to uh, DC. Yeah, there's a yeah, but, and this is where you know, as a conservative, we we do have to have our get real moment. We do have record revenue. Uh, I mean, remarkable revenue coming into the federal government. The issue is we also have remarkable record spending at the federal government. So part of the issue we have here is it's kind of hard to advance, even from a conservative standpoint, the record revenue argument when we haven't exercised fiscal conservative uh, conservatism yet. We're still seeing you know deficits that are $900 billion to a $1 trillion per year. So there is the yeah, but factor within that particular conversation. Regardless, though, on the overall prosperity, and this even plays into something uh, Nathan was just mentioning about the Obama economy. You know, it's kind of interesting. Today was big news. Federal Reserve saying, hey, we're not going to raise interest rates for the rest of the year. And, and, and uh, you know, while you, 
might be happy about that because it, it means that you probably won't have to pay higher interest rates if you end up getting a loan later this year or if you have you know variable rate debt. The the reason uh, is ultimately because, well, the economy is not going to grow as fast as last year. And you immediately saw a bunch of folks in the news media get all excited about that. Oh, right. the economy, it, you, you know, it's only going to grow at 2.3% uh, before. Now it's going to only grow at 2.1% according to the Federal Reserve. Here's the irony of that. Remember, uh, the, the uh, president, uh, then-candidate Trump, was just, I mean, a crazy man. Uh, and crazy. He is as phony as that hair of his, which actually happens to be real, too. And... You can't grow the U.S. economy at 3% again. It can't be done. Well, what happened? One full year under his tax policy, under his economic plan, we had 3.1% economic growth in 2018. We did it. 3.1%. Now, even if this economy only grew at 2.1% this year, that would still be better than the average Obama economy. The average Obama economy only grew at 1.8%. And I don't blame... Aside from the fact that they didn't seek the information on their own, a lot of millennials that came of age and immediately bought into Occupy Wall Street and the Bernie Sanders stuff and and all that because they came up in an education establishment that told them in so many words that capitalism was bad and that socialism was the answer. And then what happened? Well, they came into an economy that pretty well sucked because even after the Great Recession, what happened? Well, when you don't have an economy that's growing well, Wages aren't rising. Opportunities aren't great. If you do get a decent job, it's hard to move up because you just don't have the level of prosperity that you are accustomed to having in this country. And it isn't really complicated because at a certain level, if you raise taxes and you have a a ton of regulations and you have an economy that resembles more of a socialistic state, guess what's going to happen? Well, you're going to get more socialistic type results. And that's exactly what happened with a crappy economy. So if you end up getting rid of thousands of regulations, if you end up lessening the tax burden so that 95% of Americans benefit, which is what we've seen from those that have filed their taxes so far, 95% of Americans have benefited from the Trump tax policy, then what you're going to see is what we had last year, 3.1% economic growth. And you're going to see wage growth. That's well above 3%. People having a better quality of life. Record low unemployment rates. Record opportunity. All it took was really about a year and a half of halfway decent economic policy again to run right past eight years of the Obama presidency. It's a teachable moment. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great Mudd Lovin. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. 
They like Trump because I've done a great job in Ohio. And I've done a great job all over the country. And that's pretty much it. You know, it is the, uh, hey, you're better than you were four years ago when we get there. In this case, heck, you only need to go back two years ago. You're better off than you were two years ago. Heck, yeah, you are. You can just be the average person anywhere USA, and you're doing better. And ultimately, here is a little bit of a reality check. Brian Muddy in for the great one, Mark Levin, tonight. 2020 reality check. I, I've shared this uh, from time to time, and I like to do it because, you know, informationally, you you have a mainstream news media that is going to do everything they can, uh, if you do not see the world as they do, to try to convince you of their altered state of reality. But just as you have so many experts that are anything but, and it always is hilarious to me, by the way, it's kind of like the hot burner analogy. You put your hand on, on the hot burner, you know not to to do that again, right? So do you ever go, you know what? I know that thing has burned me before, but eh, let me try this time. Ah, jeez, still. Ah. You don't do that, right? I mean, that would be stuck on stupid. So what do we have? Well, we have a news media that continues to run out experts. Like Nate Silver, for example. People that could not be less credible in terms of the predictions and outcomes and everything, if they tried. I mean, you have them running that because it's their comfort zone, right? People like Nate Silver will tell them the things that they want to hear, even if it's not a reality. But one thing that I've done informationally throughout the course of time, even in plenty of cycles when I had no interest in uh, telling for my friends on the, the right that, hey, um, yeah, this uh, Barack Obama guy is going to uh, win here, and he's going to win here, and here's how it's going to happen. See, one of the things I like to do is utilize history as a guide towards the future. And, for example, it doesn't really matter, uh, ultimately, what the conversation is about uh, this particular candidate or that. One of the rabbit holes a lot of folks will get uh, wrapped into is, uh, well, who will you know Trump fare best against and who can beat Trump and all this? You know what really matters the most right now? None of that. It's all a bunch of bull. Because here is the one thing that is historically factual. Donald Trump, odds are, he'll be reelected next year. You know, what do you mean? I mean, it's, how can you just say that? Well, because here's the first thing to know. 65% of the presidents who run for election win. So odds are, if he just is alive on election day and on your ballot in 2020, there's about two-thirds chance that Donald Trump will be reelected next year. So you need not be as concerned about that, just somewhat ubiquitously. But the next point is when you actually start getting through the sampling, because you'll start to take a look at a lot of the polling that's out there, and you hear a lot of the polling, and uh, you'll you, maybe it shows 39. Uh, you, you might get a Gallup poll or, I don't know, Morning Consult at 40, 41, and, and you go, oh, that's bad, it's bad. Well, here's the thing. What about likely voters? Oh, likely voters. Yeah, president's been averaging around 48%. You know what a 48% approval rating likely voters this far out would mean? That'd mean he'd have about a 70% chance of winning re-election. So, again, informationally, you need not be concerned about some of those things right now. People will get it. People do get it. We'll keep getting it. Coming up next, Brian Mudd and for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now, Ron Cash.
Broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The fact is that he's doing a tremendous disservice to a wife and family. She's a wonderful woman. El Presidente, of course, talking about the very awkward situation. Very awkward situation that's developed in the Conway household as Kellyanne and, and George are caught up in something of presidential proportions. Really, I do have to wonder what goes on there. But that's not the only disservice that is taking place. There are many. There are many that are playing out, and none the least of which has been taking place at the FBI for quite some time. Now, we've heard the rumors time and time and time again. This is going to be the day. This is going to be the day. We're going to see the Mueller report drop. It actually looks like we very well might be winding down. And one thing that I want to point out to you, when was the last time you heard anything from Bill Barr? Think about it. Do, 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 do. Can you remember Bill Barr? Probably about the last time you heard something from him was about the time he was being confirmed. <laughs> Anybody think that's interesting in the grand scheme of things? Now, the last time that I was... Uh, Fortunate enough to join you on this particular forum in mid-February. I believe we were just talking about that. And one of the things I told you to watch for is that pretty sure, pretty sure, that Bill Barr did not say, you know what? I really think uh, as comfortable as I am in in my life and uh, basically retirement, after having already been the Attorney General of the United States, And in the middle of all the chaos that seems to be surrounding the Justice Department, you know what I really think I want to do? Yeah, let's just go hang out justice again. How about that? Well, that really makes sense from somebody who didn't feel highly compelled to get involved and to bring, I don't know, justice back to justice. So I told you to keep an eye on what would happen whenever something would happen at justice with Bill Barr. And by the way, you're going, hold on. Who is this guy? I, I might have heard him before, but he's he's not he's not Mark. What happened? Well, the first thing is the great one himself is observing the Jewish holiday of Purim, and I am your South Florida friend in a soggy South Florida right now. Been a rainy couple of days. I am Brian Mudd. Do a morning show WJNO in West Palm Beach. The morning rush. Then I do the Brian Mudd show about an hour after that one ends. Uh, WIOD in Miami, and truly, this is one of my favorite things to do in life to be right here with you getting to fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. And we take a look at uh, justice. We take a look at accountability and what's been lacking. I don't know anything. I've got no clue about what he's up to. But again, I firmly believe that the guy didn't get involved in this particular job, this particular moment in time, just because, yeah, you know what, yeah, nothing better to do. And that he's been so quiet, and that things have been so quiet, I think is telling. Now, he did indicate that he was going to bring some degree of accountability to the Mueller investigation, that we would end up seeing some conclusion, which there needs to be for any number of reasons. We did see yet another of, as President Trump would call them, the 17 angry Democrats, part of Team Mueller. We did see another defection yesterday. So we've now seen two defections in two weeks, which would seem to be an indication, especially with them not being replaced, that perhaps... The Mueller investigation is truly winding down. I'm not going to buy into any of the assumptions that are made. I will believe it when we do end up seeing it. But 
a couple of things that have been happening about accountability. First thing is, what has the president been saying? Yeah, going back to last Friday. Yes, please, by all means. As the House voted unanimously with a few members just abstaining on the vote, yeah, let's, let's release it. Sure. Now, you think that is the, the sound of somebody who is uh, about to get rung up on Trump-Russia collusion? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. And do you think, do you think that with all that has been invested by your news media, by the Democrats, if there truly was, truly was, that smoking gun on Trump-Russia collusion, you really think there wouldn't be something that made its way over to, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, who have been trying to tamp down the expectations on impeaching President Trump? All of these things are probably tells in the grand scheme of things about what you actually already knew, that the whole thing was a scam. And also, a lot of what we have seen recently, which is yet more evidence of a scam. All you had to do was walk back last week, and what did we find out? Well, from some of the private testimony from Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, our, our good friends, who are looking out for the Americans' best interest at the near highest levels of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, those people looking out for our interest. We found out that behind closed doors, Congress, they did what? Well, Lisa admitted that justice, that the corrupt Loretta Lynch Justice Department under President Obama was not going to bring charges and ensured through the original Comey show. It's very easy to see how that whole thing was put together. I mean, you, you pretty much knew as much anyway, right? Just taking a look at the actual facts of the matter. But, yeah, we found out from her that in so many words, yeah, justice is not going to bring charges, so don't try. Don't put us in a position where we are, are going to have to do something that we're not going to do. So they didn't, which when you are of the political persuasion of Lisa Page and Peter Strzok is very easy to do. So it was very easy to see why the investigation into Hillary Clinton was rigged by Peter Strzok and through legal proxy, Lisa Page, by virtue of the Justice Department uh, decision that had already been in. Very easy to see why James Comey then performed the original Comey show. And I had somebody reach out to me, do a Q&A locally every day, and one of the, the questions recently was on FBI accountability. And one of the, the questions brought about in, in his thought is, he gets frustrated this listener, not just because of the lack of accountability seemingly at the FBI. We do have James Comey that just goes about doing whatever it is that James Comey does, pitching his book that should have been named Tall Tales by James Comey or whatever. You, you have Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Are they behind bars? No. You hear that. You know, so, well, what what happened here with the FISA court? I mean, wasn't that a lot? Yeah, it was. They ended up with the Steele dossier, bond paid for, complete scam. They they completely deceived the, the FISA court. Comey, Justice Department officials, they're all in on it. Fall, signed off on the uh, false FISA warrant request. So when is it that we're going to have accountability? And, and then part of the frustration that was expressed is, well, how is it that the entire, but you'll hear people talk about the rank and file folks are great. 
But, you know, the FBI, we've got problems there. He wanted to know why it is that so many people provide cover to rank-and-file agents when criticizing the FBI. And I got a little bit of not much. When I say a little bit, I mean quite literally in this case. A little bit of insight. A couple agents that I've worked with on stories and discussed these issues with. Literally a couple there, too. When I say a little, I'm I'm not talking about anything other than anecdotal and a little little bit of insight. I remember uh, one agent in particular before the Comey show, near the end of the investigation with Hillary Clinton, who was convinced. He told me that he believed, just based on the little bit that he knew, Hillary Clinton was going down. He was shocked, absolutely shocked by what happened and when she didn't go down. And so, and the other agent uh, did not have the kind of insight uh, that this one did that I was speaking with, but also was discouraged based upon the evidence that was known at that point, too. But morale suffered with a lot of, quote-unquote, rank-and-file FBI agents. So the first thing is, for those that are more connected than me, for those that probably have more friends than the FBI, for those that mean well, the first thing is I get a sense that most FBI agents are just really great people that are trying to do the right thing. They're not the James Comeys, the Lisa Pages, the Peter Strzok. They really are people that are out there every day doing things that probably are saving our butts, and we might not know about it a lot of the time. Just like a lot of police officers. Most police officers, really great people, right? However, where I do disagree is with the Bureau itself. You know, something that I, I take a look at organizationally. How is, what, think of a sports team, for example. What sports team has just a loser for a coach or for a leader, and, and they are highly successful? That never happens, Right? Because if you have crappy leadership, it has an impact throughout the organization. So how would it be that we would have really crappy leadership? I mean, criminally crappy leadership at the FBI for years. And there not be other problems. And what we found out is there have been. And this is where accountability still needs to happen as well. It's not just at the top with the James Comeys, the Peter Strucks, the Lisa Pages of the world. It's also, in many cases, yes, with rank-and-file people. You know, I take a look. For folks that are not uh, either that invested in what goes on with some of the attacks in Florida or just not all that knowledgeable, bottom line is you might remember the Pulse nightclub deal a couple years ago. 49 people in a terrorist attack shot and killed. FBI, rank-and-file, dropped the ball on several occasions. Several occasions. You had co-workers of the terrorist, Omar Mateen, that ended up saying, hey, this guy is a problem. We think he's a danger. We think he will commit terrorism. And the FBI did nothing. In fact, to the extent that after they investigated him, and we later found out that the terrorist uh, father actually was an informant for the FBI, which is probably part of the reason they actually let the eventual terrorist go. They actually said, uh, you know, they were profiling and being racist, the co-workers that tried to save these people. That's something that requires accountability. But have we seen it? No. Stoneman Douglas, the shooting at the school, Parkland, Florida. FBI, rank and file, multiple agents on multiple occasions were tipped off 
The guy said, I want to be a school shooter. It was turned into the FBI. And what did the FBI determine? Eh, nothing to see there. What do you have to, if, if, if saying I want to be a school shooter is not enough, what, what would be? So my point here is we do need accountability, and it's a problem with many of the rank and file as well. That is why I hope that Christopher Ray is doing a good job, and there is more accountability there. But in the sense that I am an optimist, I would say, you know, I characterize myself as a realist that errs on the side of optimism. What I would tell you is I do not believe, once again, that Bill Barr got into justice yeah, just because he's bored. He had nothing better to do at this point in American history. So when you hear, hear from Bill Barr next, expect accountability. And I think a lot of these folks that we've been frustrated with at the Bureau, at Justice, are going to feel it. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. see it. That's up to the Attorney General. We have a very good Attorney General. He's a very highly respected man. And we'll see what happens. Uh, we will, won't we? We will see what happens. And again, I, I do caution that I am a realist. But if I err, I'm inclined to err on the side of optimism. And optimism in this particular case is something, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, it's the rule of law and actually our Constitution. How Think about that for a moment. It's Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, by the way. And Think about how crazy it is that we would actually have a, a big debate, even amongst ourselves, intellectually, uh, about whether or not people that would have been shown and that are known in the light of day to have committed crimes at the highest level of our government, these top agencies, at justice, at the FBI, at the State Department. Imagine that you know it. You. You and I know it. Let alone the people that are tasked with accountability. Imagine that we're even having this debate. You know, you, you go out, you break the law, and, and you get locked up. These people, they go out there and they do something much worse than you're even likely capable of. And we debate it, right? And, and that does actually get to if you think about it, part of the liberal argument, it's part of the reason why you've got to establish the premise. We've got to stay strong with our Constitution. We've got to teach civics. We've got to teach the values that made this country what it is in the first place. Because if you're going to be on the left, for example, we're talking about education a bit last hour and how you got to start with the foundation of free enterprise, the foundation of capitalism. And how it is that all the kids that think that, uh, yeah, you know what, uh, capitalism is evil, it's racist and all these things, you got to let them know how it is that they have the phone that they can't pride themselves away from, how it is that they were able to get that wonderful education that they are so proud of, that misinformed them about civics in our system of government. What you, what you got to do is we've also got to be consistent within the framework of our Constitution. Because if we do have a set of rules for you and me, schlubs out there that actually just work our butts off, pay taxes to employ people like these criminals, like James Comey, Rod Rosenstein, Bruce Orr, 
Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. If they actually work for us, that's the irony, those criminals. They work for us. We pay tax. But if we commit a crime and and we're done, we we go to jail, but they don't, well, then you can actually see the argument on the left about, well, this this system's broken. Our government's broken. Yeah, it is. That it very much is. And it's all part of the reason why it's so important that we do have accountability here. It, It is important that at the end of this, we don't just let the dust settle and get on to the next. And there is a, a real risk of that. It, it is something that I'm nervous about. But again, it's also a country that I believe in. And I still believe, thank God, that we are fundamentally still free people. And I believe that we are not going to be fundamentally free if we do not reestablish the rule of law of this country. I believe that, once again, Bill Barr did not come out of retirement just simply because the guy was bored. You could enter anything else, and it would have been less chaotic than what he entered, coming back into a job that he held well over 25 years ago and a different point in this country. So, yes, I do believe that he will ultimately hold people accountable because he's got to hold people accountable. And if not, one of the biggest arguments that we've got going for us as constitutional conservatives can get away from us. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. Establish the premise. We'll be back with more facts and some of your calls next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Now, let's see whether or not it's legit. You know better than anybody there's no collusion There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. There was no nothing. Well, the president, as he was getting ready to go to Ohio to make some more news, where he said, yeah, you know what? Just in case you haven't heard me previously, that McCain guy, not not, not so big on him. (laughs) Which just yet again uh, set uh, the, the folks in the news media uh, otherworldly, uh, that has been pretty much all they've talked about. That they'll occasionally work in. And by the way, the Federal Reserve said the economy is not going to grow as fast. So y- you might get a, a hot rotation on those two things if you expose yourself to the mainstream news media this evening. Uh, I am Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin, who's observing the Jewish holiday of Purim. And let's go to Raj in Virginia. Raj, go. Thank you so much, Brian. And on this Jewish holiday, let us not forget that thing which was said to Moses. Through thee, all the nations will be blessed. America, as no other nation, 
had blessed others with it had been a benevolent empire. Yep. Free enterprise didn't create that. Marcus didn't create that. It was good, the goodwill, the blessings of God, liberty. We say that liberty. Proclaim liberty in the land. Which nation on earth has done that? Raj, where are you and from originally? I'm from India. You have perspective. You know, it's uh, one, one of my uh, one of my favorite people, Dinesh D'Souza. And uh, I, I'll joke with him because he'll say, you know, it took, uh, uh, it took India to produce a, a modern American hero. <laughs> but... Uh, but but very much the perspective that you have uh, is important. And I've mentioned this for some time that I believe it's legal immigrants. They're going to be the ones that are going to save the day in this country because you have the perspective about what the rest of the world it deals with, what you, what what is real. You know, 80% of the world's population is not free. And people, you know, in this country, they take it for granted. They They have no idea. And, well, yeah, I know it sounds so wonderful, you know, all these other things. And, and then they travel around in a little bit and, you know, oh, it, it's all so great. Well, uh, not so much. How would you like to live, say, on about eight grand per year? What? Uh, that might not even pay your, your mobile service and, you know, uh, your, your coffee bill there as you sit there and say that capitalism is bad. So, now, you, I, I appreciate it, Raj. You're right on point uh, because the United States is, is not just, not just uh, you know, the – beacon of free enterprise of capitalism but nobody has done more for the world to democratize the overall opportunity than than we have you think about how much prosperity exists around the world because of us i was actually um taking a look at something i think i might actually have this within reach just got me to think i do how much money is earned in the united states and sent to other countries it's an interesting philosophical argument that I have. I had a question here in, in South Florida with some of the folks that think that we've got to stop allowing immigrants to earn money in this country and send it outside the country because it helps prop up foreign governments, which is true. It is true. At the same time, if you're a legal immigrant here and you have family back in a place that lacks opportunity, what are you going to want to do? Well, you're going to want to earn money. You're going to want to take care of your family. So I cannot blame any legal immigrant for doing it, but it is an inter- interesting philosophical ec- exercise. Anyway, just a, a few of the countries I pulled information on, and I calculated out what it means to their economy. Did you know that 3% of the Mexican economy is earned here? And that's what we know about. That's not under-the-table stuff. This is actual reported information obtained. Most recent information available is from 2016 by our federal government. $28.6 billion earned in the United States sent to families in Mexico. 3% of their entire economy. Guatemala. Hardworking people, by and large. $7.5 billion dollars. Earned in the United States, it's 11% of their economy. 11% of the Guatemalan economy is earned right here and sent back there. Incredible, isn't it? Dominican Republic, the DR, $5.5 billion earned here, sent back there. It's 8% of their economy. 8%. Can you imagine? Colombia, $4.9 billion. 2% 2% of their economy. Anyway, point is, in so many respects, philosophically, 
through our military, our strength and our protection, through paying for the entire blessed U.N. and things that we shouldn't be paying for and we should be defunding. Any number of different, but then literally the opportunity, literally the opportunity to where we represent, in some cases, more than 10% of economies of other countries produced here. So, yeah, it's a good point. Let's go to Jenna in Austin, Texas. Jenna, go. Hi, how you doing today? All good. You've got one of my favorite acronyms of the year. Okay, well, I, I developed this acronym because he, he really has nothing to stand on, so I'm going to give him one to stand on since he said he was born to be president. And uh, liberals are entitled to free health care, free everything. So it's, it's born entitled to office. Beta. Well done. Well done. I, I approve of that message. It, uh, it is really kind of, uh, you know, endemic of the entire Democratic condition these days. Here you have someone who once upon a time was a Republican, then became eh, a Democrat-ish thing, then said, ah, you know, I am open to being molded in what you want me to be as a candidate. Someone who was able to get into this entire walk of life and go around and, and be Beto rather than Robert Francis O'Rourke, because his wife is loaded, <laughs> because well, of capitalism. I used to agree with a lot of Democratic stuff. I mean, this is way, way before 2016. Sure. But I switched my view when this, the election happened, because, I mean, they just went so nutso to the left. Um, okay, I, I'm so- openly transgender. That's why my name is Jenna. Okay. Um, but um, I consider myself more conservative and uh, a patriot than... Anyway, I don't identify with either party, but I'm conservative patriot. All right, this is interesting. So what issue in particular? You say that you changed uh, your, your general voting affiliation and in, in, uh, with the election. What particular issue resonates the most with you to take you from one place to another? Well, I mean, it's the whole idea of them going socialist over uh, uh, what we have. I mean, yep. they're just going to destroy everything. Okay. It's economic, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and thank you for uh, thank you for the acronym and and for reaching out and for uh, being open uh, as well. So here's the uh, here's the thing about that socialism. I am confident. I'm confident that we are not going to have a socialist president next year. In part for some of the reason I've already mentioned, the odds are Donald Trump is going to win re-election. It just happens to be a historical fact, let alone any of the other contextual things that we'll get into once we get closer. Anybody who tries to tell you if this, then that now at this point, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. But historically, Donald Trump has near two thirds chance of winning reelection simply because the man is running. Now, you get beyond that and you talk about democratic socialism. And we have so many opportunities, none the least of which is, you know, Venezuela, for example, and and what we can point to there. But one of the other elements, and again, I, I do think that this is critical informationally to educate people about the people want to get upset at Donald Trump because he's Donald Trump. What matters to you, the personality or the policy and what it means to you? How are you doing? How are things for you? You making more money? Got good opportunity in your job? Okay, well, guess what? Let's take a look at socialism and see how you do in that environment. I uh, broke out last month. I, I think it was the last time I was with you. Uh, every single socialistic economy 
in the world and all three types of socialism that are currently practiced and how much the average person earns there. The average person in poverty in the United States of America earns about $7,000 more per year than the average person in a socialist economy. Now, little important detail. Let's go to Lee. Lee in San Marcos, California. Lee, go. How are you doing? All good. uh, Just to defend the reason that we need a wall is I used to go surfing when, uh, a number of years ago when I was uh, uh, when I used to live in La Jolla, and I'm telling you, the crime rate is significantly increased. Now you can't safely park your um, park your car on the beach south of Tijuana because the crime rate is so bad because. People will break into your car. Other th- another thing that the media will not tell you is that the crime rate in Tijuana, which is m- significantly smaller than Chicago, is almost three times uh, that of Chicago as far as the murder rate. So over 2,300 people last year were murdered in Tijuana. And um, the media is not telling you this. It's much dangerous, much more dangerous down in Mexico. We have to have a border wall or fence or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And uh, it's just gotten to the point where the media is not telling you about how bad it is. And the other thing that your public uh, needs, the public needs to know is that in my wonderful left coast state of California, uh, illegals can now get driver's licenses, and um, the state of California sometime thereafter will automatically send these people applications to vote. So, you know, no one's talking about all this stuff. It's a great point, Lee. In fact, uh, I was just telling Mr. Callscreener during the break, ironically enough, I did this story uh, on Monday called Build the Wall, Latest study shows how violent Mexico has become. After I spent some time over the weekend with a a study that was done in Spanish, it was completed by the Citizens Council for Public Security and Criminal Justice. And it was only done in Spanish. And uh, it does not matter how much of that I took in school many moons ago. I've forgotten far more than I remember. So it took me a long time to go ahead and, and get from here to there. But when I did, and I got it all together... I was able to put together all of the countries and all of the cities within the countries and then boil down to what was relevant to this conversation, the most dangerous places per capita, the most violent in the world. And when that whole thing, all the dust settled, this comprehensive worldwide study, even I was a bit surprised because five of those six cities – We're in Mexico, and I'm going to bring you the details of that coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. The Trump administration, too, is dedicated to monitoring, combating anti-Semitism. Our special envoy, Elon Carr, was recently here to discuss how we could deepen our 
commitment to battle this odious prejudice and all other forms of intolerance. Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, former CIA director. And it is a big problem. In fact, I was uh, actually talking to somebody in the know, and they're actually uh, discussing all the different statistics around the world, uh, anti-Semitism and and how much violence exists there, even relative to other religions, other issues, still uh, day in and day out tends to lead the world. And it's kind of remarkable when you put it in that perspective. You hear Benjamin Netanyahu on the back of of his announcement that, hey, he's coming to America. Uh, He's coming to America and not to Queens uh, next week. That, uh, hey, our relationship is better than it's getting better all the time. With, with the United States, with, with Donald Trump. It's, those types of things are important. And when we talk about violence, it is pervasive, right? In our society, around the world. Unfortunately, hate, evil. Yeah, it's kind of biblical, right? I mean, it's been around for a long time. Mentioned before the break, speaking of violence, speaking of the importance of, of building the wall, first and foremost, It's important to remember who the wall is for. Who is the wall for? If you ever get yourself into an argument, by the way, or even just a, uh, you know, serious discussion with someone who's clueless, ask them this question. It's the premise of the argument. Who, who is the wall for? Well, Donald Trump, his wall, but no, no. I mean, the, the argument go a couple of ways. One would be for, for the United States, but Actually, it'd be for the the Border Patrol, right? Because it was actually the Border Patrol that asked for the expansion of the wall, the fixing of the existing wall, which has been underway for the first couple of years of the the Trump administration. It's for them. It's just that Donald Trump, the candidate, actually listened to him, said, oh, my gosh, that's what's going on? Holy cow. We have that much violence? What? That's a big deal. We should build a wall. And then it became about Trump. Because of politics. But remember, once again, that a third of the southern border has a wall. Why? Well, because liars and hypocrites like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer actually voted for it once upon a time. Along with senators like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, among others. So that's who the wall is for. Now, in in terms of the continued construction, that wall, I ended up uh, going through this study over the weekend done in Spanish, by the Citizens Council for Public Security and Criminal Justice. And what they were doing is is breaking down the most violent cities in the world based upon homicide rate per capita. Homicide rate per capita. You ready? Sixth most violent city in the world per capita, El Puerto, Mexico. Number five. Juarez, Mexico. Number four, Victoria, Mexico. Number three, Caracas, Venezuela. Makes sense given everything that's been going on. Number two, Acapulco, Mexico. And number one, what our caller, the end of the previous segment was referencing, Tijuana. Mexico, most violent, most violent city in the world per capita based on homicide rate. Gives you the warm and fuzzies that it happens to be a border town too, right? 
So just in case you needed a little extra ammunition, a little extra motivation to build the wall, well, there you have it. You know, once again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. And the biggest BS argument of them all has been that it's Trump's wall, that it's un-American, that it's whatever it is. Hold on. If you have the Border Patrol and they say, hey, uh, we need this to be able to do our job. You say, well, no, I am a politician in Washington, D.C. I will tell you what you need to do. Your job. Well, no, you see, I'm on the border and, and this is the situation. These are problems we got. No, you, you're you're amoral. Now you just go out there, you put your life on the line, and you do what we tell you to do. Oh, okay, well, that, that makes perfect sense, right? So, yes, we should build a wall. Because the most dangerous cities in the world happen to be right below the third of it that actually exists. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Young people really need to learn about the responsibilities of citizenship. If we could teach folks in 11th and 12th grade about voting and about the importance of learning American history and getting them used to voting, I think that would do so much uh, for building a common American purpose and the responsibilities young people need in being good citizens. Well, yeah. Makes perfect sense. But think about it. Up to this point, the school system simply... Propagandize, propagandizes your kids, and then they send materials home to you to tell you how you're supposed to vote, right? I mean, that is so inefficient. It would be so much more efficient if they could just propagandize and then just send them directly to the voting booth. How convenient is that? Representative Ro Khanna with the very articulate argument about dropping the voting age to 16. You know, it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that he's a science denier. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, really unfortunate that Nancy Pelosi, who said earlier today, well, I've always been a believer in the voting age being 16. It's really unfortunate that Nancy Pelosi is a science denier. 
And to be from San Francisco, Nancy, come on. A science denier? That's not cool. Yeah, I mean, why would you deny science? So important in our lives, don't you think? Can't we all agree that we should not be science deniers? Yeah. Hey, uh, it is the non-science denier. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I do a morning show. The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Then I, about an hour later, switch gears. Do the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. You will see me as a guest contributor on the Fox News Channel. One of my favorite things in life to do is this. Be right here with you. Guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin, who is out for the Jewish holiday observing Pearl this evening. Now, the science-denying thing. Got a question, uh, really a submission, earlier today. I do a Q&A of the day with my local shows. And you're welcome to submit, by the way. You may always email me, BrianMudd at iHeartMedia.com. You may tweet me at BrianMuddRadio, where, by the way, this story is located right now. The link to this story for you to take, read, and share with others. You may also find me, BrianMudd, on Facebook. I'm not the dentist. The, uh, the listener, Chris, said, the auto insurance companies are on to something. The uh, the actuarial tables say that you become an adult at age 25. Now, it is kind of funny because if you think about it, insurance companies have used science and information to make all these determinations, right? I mean, shoot, if you ever wanted to know when you're supposed to die, just ask uh, your insurance agent. If anybody's going to know, he's going to have the, the best guesstimate, right? That's their business, using all this information, not for political purposes, simply pragmatically. So there is a a lot of of truth in that type of statement. And, yes, you are not considered mature by the auto insurance industry until you're 25, right? Well, doesn't that just coincide with some of the most recent science? Now, a lot of this is not new, but we do have new comprehensive research, possible that you heard about it. University of Rochester Medical Center completed the study understanding the teen brain, understanding the teen brain. And, huh, here we are, uh, and, and they found out that, what, your brain? It, it's not maturing until you're around 25? Yeah, this was actually the summation statement by the University of Rochester Medical Center in their study understanding the teen brain. It doesn't matter how smart teens are. It doesn't matter how smart teens are or how well They scored on the SAT or ACT. Good judgment isn't something they can excel in, at least not yet. The rational part of a teen's brain isn't fully developed and won't be until 25 or so. Well, shut the front door. Holy cow. Science. Science. Saying that a teen cannot be rational. Which makes perfect sense in hindsight, right? I mean, our parents were were right. It's part of the reason why you know everything when you're a teen. And then life's greatest irony is you realize, if you ever begin to wake up and realize, that the more that you know, the more you realize how little you actually do. That, to me, is life's greatest irony, is that the more informed you become, (laughs) the more ignorant you realize you are. But anyway rational part of a teen's brain is not fully developed 
and won't be until the age of 25 or so. Well, that makes perfect sense about dropping the voting age some more, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, huh. So it's not scientifically possible for teenagers to be rational. It's not even possible for adults in their early 20s to be totally rational. But what we need, 16-year-olds voting now. Now, here's the other thing, again, about the Constitution, about some facts and some pragmatism. It's part of the reason why you can take, read, and share this information with others. makes it very easy for you. All right, so if you take a look at uh, one of the more recent documents, and that's the United States Constitution, you go to the 26th Amendment, and, oh, you, you find that in 19, it was just 1971 that we dropped the voting age from 21 to 18. Yeah, we only dropped it from 21 to 18 in 1971. And here's something else to consider. I pride myself in always going an extra analytical step to give the information a perspective that you wouldn't get elsewhere. And what do we have? Well, in 1850, which was the first year that we kept records on life expectancy, the average life expectancy in the United States was 39. 39. Most of us would be dead right now if we were in 1850. Okay. And the voting age was 21. You with me? Average life expectancy, 39. Voting age, 21. 1971, average life expectancy in the United States is 71. And the voting age lowered to 18. Interesting. Interesting. Here we are. It's 2019. The average life expectancy is now 79. And we have a push to lower the voting age to 16. I mean, it all makes perfect sense, right? It's all entirely logical. Uh, But it also happens to be an affront to science, doesn't it? I mean, otherwise, what's not to like? You know, so it's so unfortunate that the Democratic Party is the party of science deniers. It is really, you know, it's all this time, which actually reminds me, it's kind of funny. Uh, I will talk about the most pervasive form of bias in news media, be no mission. Something else you, you might not have heard. I saw somebody perpetuating a story worldwide, you know, temperatures in, in February, hot and hottest under. Let me give you the real deal here. I, this is actually something I did uh, a while back. But I actually went through the, uh, the temps in the United States because I was curious about some stuff. Remember how cold February turned out to be? It is officially spring now, by the way. Happened, I believe, this afternoon around 5 o'clock or something. So anyway, uh, welcome to spring, even if it's still like a blizzard where you are. You know that uh, February was the coldest month in just over 50 years? Just over 50 years. Coldest month in the United States in just over 50 years. And in fact, the coldest state during the month was Montana. And how record-setting cold was it in Montana? Well, they had exactly one day where anywhere in the state it peaked above freezing. It happened to be February 1st. It went the rest of the month without getting above freezing anywhere and setting all kinds of record lows for the temperatures along the way. Pretty remarkable, right? Just as an aside because, you know, 
science. And uh, we, we wouldn't want to deny science that is playing out all around us, right? We're very informed and worldly that way. So anyway, uh, if you're looking for the, the shutdown argument, the intelligent argument, the pragmatic argument, the constitutional argument, that's why I put together the story that is about the voting age in the United States. If you search for the story, by the way, you will find it. You search Brian Mudd in that story or just go to Twitter and uh, you'll find it there. Uh, and I do encourage you, again, to take read and share with others because it's pretty much inarguable uh, from any angle that you happen to take a look at it. You know, there are two sides of stories and one side of facts. And when you get down to a couple of different facts, when you're talking about science and age and uh, maturity and everything else, what's interesting, as we continue to peel back layer by layer of the indoctrination that's been brought about, it's easier and easier to see and to expose to logical people what's really going on. I find myself, and this is one of my favorite things, I'd never anticipated it being that way. I work with a lot of people that are pretty young, a lot of people that are uh, you know, producers, associate producers over the years. And I have never once brought somebody in to, to be part of my team in radio because of ideology. I look at aptitude, I look at what they're capable of, and I go from there. I do want to make sure they're a good fit, but it's not about ideology. And almost to a person, I think maybe over the years, I've had one person who came in as like an actual constitutional conservative type person. Most of the time I've had young women. And to a person, what I find is the logic of these arguments. Suddenly the eyes begin to open. You're like, what? And I, I find that they're, having these conversations with their friends and their friends can't argue back. And then they begin to, to say, Oh my gosh, everything that I, I was taught or I thought that's not even logical. See, again, I, I do believe that educationally, informationally people can be reached. We can make a difference. And since the science denying thing is such a big thing right now, again, it, it is so, so darn unfortunate that Democrats are science deniers. So we really should help inform people about science, defend science, inform them about the history of the voting age. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. their hopes and dreams and aspiration and determination to make the future better for their families, that optimism, that courage, their American traits, and all of these immigra- immigrants make America more American. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm punchy today. But that to me was amazing. That was uh, Nancy doing a, a DACA asylum dance in the house today, and we need more immigrants to make America more American. <laughs> you, it's brilliant. We're, we're going to make America more American again, I think. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, thank you very much uh, for continuing to do what you do best. Now, uh, a couple things. I'm Brian Mudd in for the uh, the great one, Mark Levin, this evening. He is observing Purim, the uh, Jewish holiday this evening. Now, 
we were talking about the voting age, dropping that. And I was communicating that we do not want to be science deniers. But I also want to switch gears and talk about something else that is uh, a real, how do I put this? It's an inconvenient truth. Not to steal from from our buddy Al Gore. But since we are talking about science, this would be uh, an inconvenient truth. All right, so here's the deal. You might have heard earlier today, Robert Kraft and also the other folks from the good old Jupiter Day Spa, the Orchid Day Spa, uh, down here, just uh, literally about seven miles from where I am right now in, in West Palm Beach. You might have heard that uh, he is uh, he was offered a plea deal and that he is now rejecting the plea deal because the plea deal would have the videos being released. And so he filed a motion not to release the videos. Which, by the way, if I need to be involved in filing a motion not to see the Robert Kraft videos, please let me know. I will file a motion, too. That much I agree with the guy on. As an aside, how creepy is it? Even let's say that there there weren't, uh, you know, prostitution-like events taking place with those women who had been sex trafficked. Am I the only one who skis down and creeped out that there are uh, videos running in massage parlors if they're, like, legitimate? I mean, just as an aside, that to me a little bit creepy, but I digress. Now, here's an excerpt from a local story in the South Florida Sun Sentinel. New England Patriots football team owner Robert Kraft and other men are being offered a chance to have their solicitation of prostitution charges dropped as part of a plea deal. Palm Beach County Prosecutor's Office confirmed Tuesday. The offer was extended not just to the billionaire but to the other 24 men facing misdemeanor charges after Jupiter police said they were caught on camera soliciting sex at an illicit massage parlor. Criminal defense attorneys said that typically pretrial diversion requires that defendants write an apology, write a letter of admission of guilt, and pay fines. In exchange, they can get their charges dropped and then later expunged from their record. Now, Here's the thing. I do not believe in just making examples of people for the sake of doing so. Now, the state attorney's office, when he announced this, made very clear. Hey, uh, for first-time offenders, this is standard operating procedure. We go ahead, we cut you a plea deal, you uh, pay a fine, and later, you can even have your record expunged. But here's what upsets me. Maybe it is standard operating procedure. But maybe we're having this conversation because it's standard operating procedure. What message does this send if Robert Kraft and these other guys, as high profile as this has been, what message does this send if they walk with a fine and a clean record at the end of it? If ever there was a time that we needed to make an example of somebody, it would be now. And here's the problem in this. The problem is, for most people, they don't get to the real crux of the story. They stop at, ooh, it's Robert Kraft, and he was soliciting sex. No, it's not about prostitution. Look, prostitution is unfortunate for any number of reasons. There's no girl who has ever grown up dreaming to be in that position. There are a lot of things that went wrong in life for anybody to be there. That's sad. That's unfortunate. But that's not the real deal here. It's the human trafficking. And it's the demand 
that leads to that human trafficking. That's why more has to happen here. And I'm going to pick up that piece and give you the rest of it next. I'm Brian Mudd, filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. We share the concern of the U.S. and many other states that this court has lost its way. Instead of dealing with mass atrocities, the court engages in unwarranted and politicized efforts to target the states that are committed to the rule of law and that have not joined the court. It's the exact opposite of what it should be doing. Benjamin Netanyahu on the International Court, and uh, yeah, a little bit, right? And it's interesting because you hear Benjamin Netanyahu talking, and if not for the accent and the fact that, yeah, you know what, he is probably uh, a bit more articulate than President Trump. They sound awfully similar on a lot of things. But, of course, you know, President Trump, I mean, he's just the rube. The rube who ended up, uh, you know, just moroning his way into, you know, multiple billions of dollars and, you know, an enterprise that brings in $10 billion per year. And, uh, you know, what's with the hair? Yeah, it's fascinating because time and again, what do we talk about? Well, what does government actually mean to you? At the uh, onset of the show, I mentioned that part of the, the, the reason and, and part of the place where we've lost our way is that we don't teach civics, that people don't understand the Constitution, uh, and we embrace a false premise. Because if you don't have a foundation, if you don't know how it is, it's so important. It's like with the space program. Even some you know, budget hawk conservatives will, will go, well, the space program's a big waste. Okay, you're, you want to have that conversation? That, uh, that phone you're holding, how do, you think, uh, how do you think we got from here to there? Your uh, microwave oven, something that seems as benign to you now as that. How do you think uh, we, we got to that particular technology? The, the most incredible things that have come about as a result of, of space, you know, this side of uh, you know, Al Gore inventing the Internet, unrelated to the space program, was uh, that it wasn't always so much, and it hasn't always been so much about what we discover once we get to wherever the mission is. It's what we develop to make the mission possible in the first place. And then what the private sector has always been able to do utilizing that incredible technology. American free enterprise. And so part of the importance in a way that can be relatable and you can communicate to people who are young and idealistic and uneducated is to talk to them about the things that matter to them. Talk to them about how that phone got in their hands. And it got there because of how? Well, not because of socialism. Now, socialism would, would pretty darn well ensure that you would not ever have something like that. No, it, it ended up in your hand because, well, there are people that were allowed to use their ingenuity and utilize readily available technology and innovate on that technology and through profit have an incentive to make it into something that would be great and then just continue to improve and improve and improve on it to make it even better because there's that incentive. All right, that's one little teachable moment among many. And we need to have those types of conversations. We need to get back to the premise, to the education, why things matter, which, as I combine two issues into one, we are actually looking at the space program again, and it is important. It is really important. But uh, far more important than just the space program, the foundation, the premise, our constitution, capitalism, 
and American Free Enterprise. Let's go to Robert and Santa Clara. Robert, go. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Yeah, so I had a conversation with two young people the other night. I work around young people. And I got to evangelizing this one kid about, you know, capitalism versus seducing the country into into socialism, which seems to be, you know, I mean, the Democratic Party and maybe some rhinos that are all in on this to put high-speed rail everywhere, stack and pack housing along transportation corridors, go after the middle class, you know, call it white privilege, be able to covet thy neighbor's goods, and let's all just, you know, fleece our parents, you know, everything they've worked for and their grandparents down to nothing, confiscate equity and bank accounts. And he was totally into it. And another kid comes out and says, what you guys talking about? And I said, yeah, and he's the kid, the kid was like, he wanted to include him in the conversation. And then we started saying, you know, well, you know, this Green New Deal thing is really about the Democrats trying to get it at an accelerated rate and, and to get people in survival mode or get a bunch of young people to vote in these ridiculously accelerated programs with no transparency and no auditing and re- really going after equity, which people have earned, which is totally unethical. And in his, well, you, the world's going to end in 12 years, the kid says, the other kid says. And I said, <laughs> it's not going to end in 12 years, man. The planet's not going to die in 12 years. That is such ridiculousness. We're going to get there, guys, but maybe in 20, 30 years we'll get there without fleecing the middle class, which is the only uh, tax base that really is able to – you can't get money out of people who don't have anything. And then maybe a virtue signaling company like Apple or Google can say they're going to contribute some little fair arbitrary number to the pie, but they're not going to because they're going to be able to offset or, you know, yeah. cut their their labor. or You know, they'll be able to offset it. It's the middle class that's got to pay for everything. The world, we're getting cleaner and cleaner as we go, you know, I'm, I'm and they want to the do it at such an accelerated rate. And yeah, it's no, not fair to the middle class. Amen. You, you articulated a lot in a short time that is on point continue to evangelize and have these conversations here's the first thing and you know i just try to start out being as relatable as possible in these things i am without a doubt a conservative environmentalist i'm in south florida i'm in the minority politically here's many folks are in many you know metropolitan areas Uh, but in south florida in particular there are two reasons you're here but two one happens to be that we do not have a state income tax which many New Englanders are keenly aware of. The other is the weather and the environment. Now, I have not met any conservative, not ever, that really wanted to pollute and say, you know what, I don't really want to play golf. You know what, I don't really want to go out in the water. You know what, I don't really want to fish. I just want to sit here and be hot. Uh, No, no, we, we want to enjoy. So you have a lot of conservation. And the best conservationists I know, ironically enough, tend to be conservatives. I, I kid you not. We we have you know some real radical folks that will go out and do all the protest thing. You see in a lot of cities. Every now and then, you, you probably see it here because you know, Mar-a-Lago is in the neighborhood. So you know, President Trump comes here. You get all the the you know rebel rousers and you get the protesters. I've actually cleaned up behind them before. One of the things that my wife and I do for exercise is, is kayak, and I, I literally, on a daily basis, that I get the opportunity to do that. I, a lot of times where I go will be dictated by where the garbage is, the pickup, and everything. And I've actually cleaned up after the protesters that were protesting on behalf of the environment. I mean, you can't make that stuff up. You know, there, there are a lot of people that like to say certain things but have no interest in actually believing it or executing on it. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is actually have that conversation. Who do you know that wants to pollute? 
who do you know that wants to really make the environment worse? And then actually use practical examples and, and be smart, be engaged. Look, bottom line is none of us win if we pollute more than is necessary. None of us win if we have garbage and, uh, you know, the water is terrible, right? I mean, th- that is not a partisan issue. It being politicized is a whole other st- ball game. Now, when you talk about the environment and everything ending in 12 years and all that, a couple things. First is, you know, the, the rabbit hole that is climate change. Let's be honest and let's be real. There's not a day in, in world history that the climate hasn't been changing. <laughs> I mean, we have had a minimum of three mass extinction events on this planet. And, uh, well, all before anybody was here with, uh, you know, a certain amount of carbon output with your car. And, oh, by the way, the average cow and, and its flatulence pollutes more than the average car. So if we got rid of the cars and we became vegetarians, would that be okay? We'd actually have more pollution. Just saying. Practical examples. Real life. And then take people back to the 70s and the articles that were written. You can still find them online about how it was all going to come to an end by 2000 if we didn't change everything. And, huh, that didn't worry. And then you take people back to all the dire predictions with the ozone layer. Remember that whole deal? The 90s. Huh, that didn't turn out. And then to your point, which is, you know what? We actually are putting out less carbon, less pollution per person today in the United States than we were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Huh. And we have a lot more technology, too. Craziness. And two sides to stories, one side of facts. Let's go to Eric in Bend, Oregon. Have a sister-in-law in in, uh, Bend, Oregon. Go. Hey, Brian. Great show. I just want to add something I think you will find very interesting and useful and I hope you don't mind me plugging a book by somebody I have no connection with whatsoever. If Mr. Call Screener said it is okay, then we're cool. Mr. Call Screener didn't say I couldn't do it. So the book, and it's been out for years and years. It's in paperback, very affordable, very understanding or understandable. It's entitled Physics for Future Presidents. And it's not just physics. What it is is a expose of all of the science that you hear. In fact, the byline is the science behind the headlines. So okay. it's physics for future presidents, but it's intended for the layperson to understand all of the science that you see out there in the mainstream media from both sides and just lay it out very clearly, very simply for anybody to understand so that there there is one set of facts, even yep. though there are many sides to the story, as you've been saying all day. Yep. Uh, appreciate it. It's good stuff. Thank you very much, Eric. And uh, let's go to Michael in L.A. Michael, go. Hey, Brian, great show, but I think everybody's missing the point. That you can, all the data you want to use and all of the facts, and they're all accurate. That's not the problem is, and if we don't do something about it damn soon, it is going to happen. Because AOC and these people, it sounds attractive. What's wrong with free money for everybody? What's wrong with universal health care? Other countries do it. If we don't start re-educating our kids, and I mean from like sixth grade, that's the way I was educated, to the system of why are we not socialists? Why did our founding fathers want it this way? Why do we have the Electoral College? Why do we have voting ages? Why do we have the things we have? To where it makes sense so that it's countering them, because you have CNN all day long. You have MSNBC all day long. 
hearing all these left-wing radicals and being supported by the mainstream media all day long. And when you watch AOC, I'm sorry, I don't poo-poo her. She's scary because people buy into her. Michael, you're you're a hundred percent right. Although I can make you feel slightly better because the only people that watch CNN outside of the uh, people that actually put that product together are people that are held hostage in airports. So I wouldn't be so worried about them. And and otherwise, MSNBC, I, I think they just get themselves excited about themselves, and uh, then they go, "Look, we're on TV," and uh, you you have the NBC folks that go ahead and subsidize it with their other crap programming. So anyway, you know that 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 part notwithstanding, CNN and MSNBC isn't uh, the, the the big concern out there. However, the school's education 100% is. You got two ways you got to deal with that uh, because what you say is correct. The first is be a parent. Be a parent. More important than maybe at times previous to be a parent because of the education establishment that you're 100% right about. And then there is another element to this as well that goes a bit deeper because it, it still can. And I hear the stories from people who say, I'm trying, but they go to school and they buy into the bull crap. Well, that's a real threat. Where you send them to school? Now, something that uh, is not easy at all, but I have been working very hard on. In fact, uh, in our state legislative session in Florida right now, I've been working hard on. Hold on. That didn't sound right. So, (laughs) school vouchers. School vouchers. So, one of the most offensive things that uh, exists out there is the idea that we pay taxes And these people work for us, including every teacher, including everybody that's part of the education establishment. 100% of them are our employees. But we don't have the ability to utilize our tax dollars for the education that we see fit. We allow bureaucrats at the local level to draw lines on maps and say, you live here, you have to go here, and we're going to put these teachers into these slots. Good luck. That's offensive. It's reprehensible. It's anti-American. It's your money. It's your money. And so working here, I'm actually uh, one of the proposals that is making its way in Florida right now. We take school vouchers up to not only allow school vouchers for private schools, but would also enable families earning up to $97,000 per year to be able to utilize them. And it's got a very good chance of, of working its way through. Got four different proposals in the state right now working like hell to get from here to there. I think that's important because then it gives you, the informed parent, the opportunity for school choice homeschooling you know very few people can do that if you can awesome but school vouchers school choice that is a huge huge part of this conversation going forward i'm brian mudd in for the great one mudd lovin Modern presidents have understood what immigration means to America and the constant reinvigoration of our country. Right now, we're in a little bit of a difficult situation, but we shall overcome. <laughs> uh, Nancy Pelosi, everybody. <laughs> Trying to figure out how she already lost control to AOC. Although... As funny as that is, uh, here's the scary part. Remember having this conversation not all that long ago. How crazy is it that you now have to look right within the Democratic Party to find Nancy Pelosi? Tell me that isn't scary. Whew. It's Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And I mentioned something before the uh, 
bottom of the hour. Now, I want to make sure that I get in here uh, because it's important. It's something I've been passionate about for a long time. It was re- related to the uh, Robert Kraft story I was talking about. A lot of people, uh, as they hear the news about it, it's, oh, it's, you know, Robert Kraft. It's the Patriots owner. It's that guy, whatever else. And, ooh, it's the prostitution thing. And they stop there. There's a much bigger problem that goes on, a much bigger problem. It's not the prostitution. It's how the prostitutes were there in the first place. It's human trafficking. There is institutionalized racism in news media. There has been for a very long time. Most of my professional career, I've documented the the stories. You'll hear like the Elizabeth Smarts, those stories, for example. You'll remember names, Natalie Holloway, you know, some of the stories that fit the right profile. And you'll notice something about all of them, too. They're generally cute white girls. Blonde. Fits the narrative that the media wants you to care about. You know who you don't hear about? The 22 people per day in the United States that we lose to human trafficking. You know the reason that predominantly you you don't hear about them? 81% are minorities. You know another reason that you predominantly don't hear about them? Over 90% are from urban communities. So it doesn't fit the nice, cozy news media narrative to make you care. To take nothing away of the victims, like the Jamie Kloss that we just experienced. Nothing like those types of situations. But it's important. And the issue is, in the criminal world of human trafficking, it's not just the ones that go, it's the ones that come in too. We lose 22 people per day in this country to, uh, to human trafficking. But guess what? There are also 44 per day that are trafficked into the United States. And why? Well, because you got people like Robert Kraft that will go and pay for those services. So part of the issue here is ending demand for human trafficking. And that's why it's important that there's accountability here. It's always an honor and a pleasure. Uh, It's one of my favorite things to do in life, to spend time right here with you on this particular show. Until next time, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin.